Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Three in a Bar. My name is Seb Philpot. Um, my name is Verity Simmons. Nice. Hello. Hello. Thanks for tuning in. Yeah, two and in a week. Have we got two two in a week? Two in yes, a week. That's Three correct. in a bar. That... Two in a week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. <laughs> uh, well, we've got one in the the hole, <laughs> hole in one. <laughs> Oh, here. good Lord. Be careful where you say that. <laughs> because we've got a belter of a guest. Yes. This is, who is it, Verity, please? This is phenomenal cellist extraordinaire, Gabriella Swallow. Yeah. Yes. I was looking wow. for a word to sum her up. I actually, I was just trying to Google the correct words because she's so amazing. Her stage presence and her whole being is so fantastic, mm. isn't it? She's really... I was still looking for the word. I was looking at exhilarating or exciting mm. or can you think of a good word? She's pretty fabulous. Fabulous is another excellent word but for that's her. That's a word. Yeah. Uh, she's got some of the best publicity photos of anyone. I've Truly. Ever seen. Yeah, yeah. Really good. She's so, really invested in those. She, <laughs> she really has. So a little potted history of Gabby is that she yeah. started her musical life at Cheatham School of Music uh, and she originally wanted to be a recorder player. She talks a bit about that. Um, but she went on to play the cello. And then she carried yeah. on to the Royal College of Music. She won the Tagore Gold Medal, which is amazing, wow. isn't it? Yeah. That's the big one. Yes. That's that's the one that, like, the best person in, in the year gets that. I mean... What a ledge. I think that's right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's amazing. It really is. Um, yeah. And, then, and so how did her career kind of kick off? Like she was really into contemporary music. That was her big thing. Yeah. She made her South Bank debut uh, with the London Sinfonietta when she was 22, um, wow. playing something called About Water. And we just thought, yeah. you'd have to have balls of steel, wouldn't you, to do that at 22. Amazing. Yeah, that is really good. But then there was a bit um, of a hiatus, wasn't there, for her? Yes. Uh, so she took some time out to to look after her. Well, to have children, basically, and yeah. look after them, um, yeah. supporting uh, her husband, who was, who was busy working. So it kind of, um, 
her sort of playing career kind of stopped for a bit, but then then she kind of started up again, and that's that's a really interesting thing that we get into about yeah. what it's like sort of coming back to it and sort of almost starting your career again and really finding yourself as a performer. Yeah. That's, uh, I'm sure everyone will, will really, you know, relate to something in, in this, in her story. It's really interesting. Absolutely. Um, and she's worked with some amazing people, hasn't she recently? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, um, very recently, Hugh Jackman. Yep. And Rob Brydon. Yeah. That's how you um, met her, isn't she, it? Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. We yeah. met this year doing, doing a tour. Oh. Uh, and that was really a really fun tour it was um we were doing it just before lockdown and it was oh happy uh, we, days we, we were actually we were on stage <laughs> ready to to sound check it in guildford yeah um on that that monday that was like the day it all shut down oh um and uh it was a really really sort of sad we, we went to um, we, we hadn't even played a note and we went to uh pizza express uh and <laughs> had a sad pizza and we, sort of just any sweating at the wall. any sweating going on in there oh it's been, yeah just a lot of yeah a lot of sweating like, in te- pizza express. sweating <laughs> texting people going what is happening and then a quite a weird train back to to london and then oh. we kind of hugged goodbye and we're like oh, we're not even meant to hug but no but, but see, last see times yeah exactly yeah. oh very strange um yeah. that feels like a long time ago now but um yeah, she's played with um, quite regularly with uh, Judith Owen and, yeah. and um, Le- Leland Sklar and yeah. G- Gwilym Simcock. Yeah, yeah. D- uh, yes. And Lizzie Ball, Classical Kicks. And she's got yeah. her own group, hasn't she, called uh, Gab... It's, I think it's called Gabby Swallow and Her Urban Family. In fact, I can tell you it is called Gabriella Swallow Good. and Her Urban Family. I didn't say family. yes or no, I wasn't sure. <laughs> no, I panicked for a minute. Is it? <laughs> Definitely <laughs> is called that. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds right. Uh well we, we don't chat. want to give it all away, no, do we? We don't. We Go had a great chat with her in her really cool flat up yeah. in uh, North London. And uh yeah, this is it. This is our conversation with Gabriella Swallow. you're going to do a podcast yourself well i was thinking about it i was thinking about what's it. the premise well just because all my friends are comedians yeah and they only ever want to talk about music <laughs> and all my musician friends only want to talk about comedy so it's about that sort of you know dynamic and the similarities and the differences so i'd say that was kind of my premise but oh, that you've cool. been much more proactive than me and you're actually doing it. I just really like talking about my podcast idea. <laughs> yes. Oh, we so did I'm that really for a long time. We did that for ages. Yeah. How many years have I got then before I actually do it? Mm. Mm. We, well, we started thinking about it as of September and we finally put one out in March. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Already you've beaten me. But- <laughs> well, we, we probably met doing Rob Brydon's tour. Yes, and that we was, did. That was really fun. Uh, and hopefully that's, that'll sort of continue hopefully next year. Mm. Um, but um, yeah, I mean... It was yeah interesting. We were just talking there about comedians, and you, lots of your friends are comedians. And mm. I don't know. It seems like a very natural sort of job for you to do that that thing. Do you find? It, yes, it did feel really good because I think I know. I mean, about how comedians are, um, which is actually not every single time you'd want them at a party. They're <laughs> usual yeah. quite sort of depressives and hard work socially. Yeah. And 
but the thing I think I've always connected with comedians is about, um, you know, the difference about going on stage and how how different that is to um, for people's sort of normal personality. And I think with with comedy and music, it's they do have the similarities, but the big difference is is that we don't have to go on and make a joke, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is terrifying. And comedy is is obviously very subjective. Yeah. And if people don't find something funny, they just won't laugh. Nice. And with music, yes. you'll get a polite clap. That's yeah, true. There's yeah. always something. They're always, you get something. They're always clap, right? Yeah, yeah. Unless it's really bad. But, exactly. Uh, but, comedy yes. audiences can be absolutely brutal, can't they? Well, absolutely. I mean, my my cousin um, is Rod um, Gilbert, and he was on a huge tour. And we went through what he goes through before he goes on stage, mm. which, I mean, you know, he won't mind me talking about this because he's, he's mentioned it publicly, but there's a lot of stuff that goes on in his head in the shower before he goes on. And yeah. A lot of it's like, okay, so we're a Sunday night now. The audiences are not going to sound like a Saturday night. Yeah, yeah. And he basically goes through a checklist of a kind of, a, you know, a boost to get him on stage. Yeah. And a lot of it is down to acoustics, what night you're in, what kind of hall it is. And that affects how you will get that feedback from the audience. And again, I don't think that's something we quite think about in music so much. No. I mean, I, I'm not crazy about a matinee audience, <laughs> but that's because I'm not crazy about doing matinees or double show yet. No, so sure. it's probably not related to anything about you know yeah. what I'm presenting. Yeah. So I, I, yeah. So, but actually, I think you know Rob Brydon is the absolute opposite of my normal comedian friend. Right. Um, because actually he's unbelievably positive, professional, and I think we both had an incredible time because yeah. oh. he's just so naturally funny. And actually yeah. a lot of my comedian friends are very, very funny people, but they don't normally always give that much all the time, no. you know. So what was your role within it, you guys? Were you playing, It was it like he would sing and you were accompanying mm. band or what was the deal? Yeah, I mean, so where he'd um, he'd tell some stories and then sing some songs, and uh, there was um, there was a, a was it a seven piece band, was it? Um, yes. And uh, Paul Herbert was the MD, uh, who's a, a lovely guy, and um, he he arranged all the music and um, worked with Rob on exactly how, what songs to do and what would showcase his talents because he's a great mm. singer. And mm. uh, but then yeah, but I, what I loved is that there was like the, the parts were written out, but then we were allowed to just kind of do our own thing with it slightly if we felt like yeah. it there's lots of room for improvisation oh great mm. i mean there's some bits where it was just like a kind of uh, a funk blues you know and yeah we just do what we want and just yeah he really, really trusted fun. us actually yeah. oh, that's and that lovely. was really nice and i yeah. think a lot and i think for my career actually all the people i've worked at who are the most successful at what they do always trust the people that they're hiring yeah yeah you know hugh jackman exactly the same oh yeah absolutely oh, yes i was gonna ask you us. about that that looks so fun i've seen loads of clips <laughs> of it, it looked yeah. amazing were you guys touring with him was it uk or we did europe with him oh, so fab. about 27 dates wow and it was incredible you know but again that was the thing i noticed um is that people who are so successful you know believe in the musicians and they don't have that sort of jealousy of like, oh, we don't want to be outshined by the band. No. They will tap into what they can get. And again, with Hugh, there was big info. We would always do um, I Got Rhythm or one of those big Gershwin numbers. And then 
just depending on the day, he would pick someone in the band to do a full improvisation with wow. dancing girls in front, <laughs> in front of 22,000 people. And I got picked for the first time in the rehearsal and none of us knew what the hell was happening. It was terrifying. <laughs> we were in Castleford or somewhere in Wakeford where they do the big arena rehearsals because you can get the stage oh, yeah, in yeah. there. And I'd met him in the, I was literally making tea and he was next to me. And of course, you know, said, do you want a cup of tea, Hugh Jackman? <laughs> and he was like, oh, I think I'm good. And then he came back. He said, actually, could I? Oh. I said, yeah, of course. How do you take it? Made him a cup of tea. He asked my name, had a two second chat, went back to the rehearsal. And then we ran the show. And then during this Gershon number, suddenly I felt Hugh Jackman's hands on my shoulder. Oh. And he was like, I was like, am I dreaming? <laughs> am I actually being paid to do this? And then he was like, okay, Gabby, take it away. You've got rhythm, Gabby. Show us how you've got rhythm. And the bar section looked at me just oh horrified, God. like, what is she going to do? <laughs> and I just went red. But then I just somehow, I think the 30 years of going to pro mode, I was like, okay, I think I can play like a walking, slightly crap bass line. <laughs> Let me just do that. And then he was like cheering me on and everything. And then everyone, of course, then knew my name in the whole 290 people crew that was yeah. working for him. So it all sort of started from there. And then he did the same again the next rehearsal. He picked someone else. Yeah. So then we realised that this was going to be a feature of the show. Yeah. But it was so fantastic because, of course, then by the midway, people were slightly preparing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I think like Andy Gatherwood, is it Andy Gatherwood? Yes, yeah. he'd like had the best solo in the O2 or something. <laughs> it was unbelievable. So, so compared to my crappy walking baseline on day one. Oh. That you sounds know. like an anxiety dream. Oh, it that's really just like that's making my palms sweat. Just think about it. I think I would just totally. have like a drone. It's <laughs> <laughs> all I've got, Hugh. Sorry, it's <laughs> all I got. <laughs> it really did feel a bit like that. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think with Rob, you know, especially he he just because I'd worked with him for the first time maybe three or four years ago. He was in a Elvis suit. <laughs> and I was playing cello for him, singing Tom Jones. And we'd always, because, you know, I work obviously with um, a Welsh singer called Judith Owen, who's married to Harry yeah. Shearer. Yeah. So once you work with Harry, who who is the comedian's comedian, yeah. Yeah. then you're safe. So you sort of get passed around a bit. And then when Rob asked me initially to do the tour, it was really exciting because actually... I realised what a big deal it was for him. Yeah. And again, like a bit, you know, I'm, I think Rob will love me comparing him to Hugh Jackman all the time. But there was, <laughs> there was definitely a thing of like the fact that Hugh, this wasn't his normal thing. Yeah. Because normally he's behind a green screen making movies. And okay, he did start out in theatre. Mm. And I think with Rob, again, you know, he did a lot of theatre and then had a big gap. Yeah. And then, you know, his telly and voiceovers and everything and his incredible career. But there, it's lovely as well when you're working with someone so successful who then is doing something new and actually is a bit terrified and wants it to be really, really good. Yeah. yeah. So I think I became a bit of a, a you know, a, a leaning, a sounding post for him because I went to go and see the show in its original state at Crazy Cox with just him and Paul. I was just blown away because actually the shape of the show and all of that, it was just kind of perfect. Yeah. And then again, I was like, what are you worried about? You're unbelievable. And I think that's the fun thing. I think we all felt is that we can all feed off what yeah. they bring actually yeah. from their fields as musicians who, you know, do something quite different realistically and then put it back into what we do. And 
you know, it's great. And mm. I felt really lucky to be part of it all. Yeah. I um, think that's, that's amazing when, when people just, just trust everyone to like, you know, to everyone in on the stage is like an expert in their specific field. So it's yes. Like, you do a, do an amazing drum solo this, or whatever. And then, yeah. and then the whole time we, we were just, you know, talking about music and our favorite, our favorite artists and all that. Mm. And, um, it's, um, I don't know, I was thinking, I, talking about this the other day I'm, I'm watching Breaking Bad again oh. and uh <laughs> and I find I find it really fascinating that the way that was all set up and Vince Gilligan is like the showrunner of that mm-hmm. and but he, he says that um it's like doing a show like that it's like building the Empire State Building you 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 can't have an alter just one person doing it it no. doesn't mm. work you need to trust in the abilities of everyone around you build a good yes. team based on on just respect and, and everything. Absolutely. And, and that's such a great thing. Collaborating with people is just, just the most it exciting. Is. And, and again, yeah. in our music industry, I think that doesn't always happen. Sometimes you can be led from the top by, you know, a narcissistic conductor who just mm. generates fear. And I think Hugh's thing and Rob's thing was, you know, actually you can get the results and be really kind yes. and be really enthusiastic about mm. music still and yeah. not eat your sandwiches in the car by yourself in the yeah. break and we're together in this uh, yeah and i mean hugh even had an emotional intelligence charter we followed i mean what, <laughs> what's that whoa well you see that happens if you've got a massive company like google there will be someone bought in say okay if you're running a ship of this amount of people you want people to feel valued and you need this and this and this to happen. So Hugh got those people to come in and prep the tour. Wow. So it's just extraordinary. So there That's was a next level, isn't it? It totally is. But then again, you know, you got the results because, yeah. you know, you had 290 people just loving being around him. Mm. And the way he got those results was every Friday he would give us all out a scratch card. <laughs> and he would come up to every single person from the musicians to the catering people working on the tour buses and everyone have their 30 seconds with Hugh Jackman oh. he'd hand out a scratch card and say lucky Friday <laughs> and that was it you know because when does that ever happen no that's so awesome everyone felt valued the dancers from New York for example never left New York State so he'd written these rules and said every time you're in a European country learn how to say hello in a different language you know, in the language that meet someone fresh in the crew every day. I mean, basic things that we wouldn't think about particularly. Mm. But if you're young and it's your first tour, you know, just to be given that guidance yeah. was really refreshing. Yeah. And actually, there was no massive issues with alcohol, drugs. Yeah. Everyone felt really looked after and yeah. that we wanted. And I did ask him about it. He took us bizarrely bowling um, <laughs> for our kind of trip out in Germany. It was mad because, of course, me and the string quartet went in full Diendel costume. Just to, you know, fit in. Shalomi Dobrinsky was in Lederhosen. It was quite a sight. And the dancers said they would do, but in the end they just wanted to look really hot. So they didn't do it. They didn't dress up. So it was the four middle-aged English girls that, that did it. And Hugh loved it. He thought yeah. it was hilarious. Yeah. So we were on, we got picked to be on his team. And anyway, we got like a, a moment to chat and I just said to him, I said, Hugh, I've just got to ask you, you're really, you're really kind. And we're not always used to be treated like this. Yeah. What's the thinking behind it? And he said, look, I've worked on so many movie sets where the director is just <laughs> horrible. And I always said, made a promise to myself and my wife and people who work with me that when I get to run my own thing, I can do it in this way. 
mm. and still get the results and show that it is possible. Oh, what right. a truly excellent man. Oh, it's great. so nice. Because everyone had always said he was so great. Yeah. And then, you know, really, there was nothing I could say that was negative. No. You know, he was just so delightful. And But, of course, then you're spoiled for the rest of your yeah. life. And yeah, you're yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Why? <laughs> but you're so right. It's, we've talked about this um, a while ago. Uh, with that same... In fact, we were talking about this yesterday, when you, you can tell the difference when a band has been put together and mm. it's really... Everyone has been, it's been thought out, you're picking people who go well together, or, you yes. know, just people who are laid back and understand about working with other people, and it makes totally, such a difference. Totally. If everyone wants it, because then everyone wants to do well for each other, don't they? Yes. So it pushes you up to perform better because you just want it to be good and you yeah. want and everyone's really happy and you're not mm. tense and you know especially oh, yes. with like a stringed instrument you know oh totally I'm sure it's probably the same for you isn't it when, you know yeah. is it you can get a bit wobbly if you're nervous yeah, well or, exactly what is it, yes. alcohol or, or what is this just, <laughs> if you're just a bit stressed no, d- not coming back to alcohol <laughs> again no, no, oh. <laughs> no i mean just that thing if if you've got if you're anxious physically the effects can, oh, can be really yeah, yeah i think mm. you can hear it on, on wind instruments and, yeah and, uh, yeah but I think you do get it. You get shaky arms and stuff, right? If you're yeah. Playing strings. Oh yeah. The, oh. the dreaded bow shakes. Bow shakes. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And shifting goes out the window. Which I, I only got ter- <laughs> like the only time I felt really truly terrified. I think, and I think both of you will get this because you've done it yourselves. But depping yeah. on the first night of a show. Oh, totally. Jesus Christ. It's the worst. <laughs> Hamilton. First oh night. my god. Oh. That's a bit overwhelming because that's such an awesome a, show as well. It's you awesome show. It. It's such a roast and yeah and you know I, and actually I was talking to someone else recently on a session about you know that that is truly terrifying for everyone because mm. of the responsibility and the fact that you think well I will never actually work again it always gets catastrophized totally you know but there's of course a slight smidgen of truth which you know but I but it's a strange thing because I don't suffer from nerves in a big audience you know I absolutely never really had that yeah but to feel nerves then later in life and have to suddenly then deal with controlling them was quite overwhelming because mm. I've yeah. never really, yeah. you know, because I think if you're a nervous player and you've, you've by the age of nearly 40, you would have worked out how to deal with it. Yeah. Um, so it was a bit like kind of clinging on. And you did, what, did you have a good tactic? Did you have something that you kicked in with? I think I knew that if I could get through the first minute, I would be all right. Yeah, totally. And then I looked around and the band was so supportive. Yeah. You know, and just because, of course, people want depths. They're yeah. not there to try and make you fail because their life's going to, you know, be terrible if they can't have people to cover. Yeah. So, I, I, you know, it was a very, very supportive working environment, um, yeah. but absolutely terrifying. And yeah. But it was kind of energising to feel that fear yeah. again. Yeah. And it didn't take a long time. It took a long time, to, a, lo- a lot of shows to feel comfortable with that yeah. show because it is really, really hard and it's cello-led. Yeah. And, you know, and you know that people are spending £200 on a ticket, know it better than you do. Yeah. So they're waiting <laughs> for that moment, you know. <laughs> you know, that that, that was a, a very positive thing. But yeah. also, you know, I've been bullied on tour before. That was hell. Oh, that's, you know. that's oh, God, awful. middle of America on a tour bus. You can't mm. imagine. Oh. So again, you know, when I make my own work, you know, I do take that feeling like the, the the really great bosses I've had. I will only pick people who I really, really, really like yeah. and get and get me and have that sort of family environment because 
I just refuse to feel that crap because mm. generally I think because when you're away from home, away from your kids, you're not going to be feeling your best. Right. No. So it's just important to make it feel like, you know, it's worth leaving for. Mm. Absolutely. And that's great. So when I was looking, I was looking, going through all the mm. incredible things you've done earlier. And like, truly, your career does embody, I know this is a real buzzword, but portfolio career. Oh, really? You've absolutely nailed that, haven't you? <laughs> because there's so many different things going on. And it seems like you've got a real sense of control over what you're doing as well. Would you say that? Like, I'm looking mm. at that from the outside. Oh, Obviously, no, really. that's very fascinating. <laughs> I mean, I, I think my career has just surprised me because it was never quite what I set out to do. My, right. my dream job probably going back to sort of teenage years at Cheatham's was just playing BCMG in the London Symphony Theatre. That's yeah. all I really wanted to do. And when it didn't happen for lots and lots of reasons, um, I have always enjoyed different kinds of music. And I went through a, you know, a strange route because I got married super young. I was with a, you know, a composer who had big jobs with big orchestras in America and I sort of put my stuff on hold um, to really support him, which, you know, I, there's, there's no regret. That's what I chose mm. to do. And then had my children young. Um, and then when I came out of it as a, as a single or co-parent at 30, 31 years old, I just said yes to everything. <laughs> <laughs> I basically started again. Yeah. And, um, and I think that was the... The, the making of me really yeah. because I just then owned the things that I was doing and the preciousness of 13 year old me just went away and then I realized you know actually I was living in a very exciting time where you know you can play in different venues and you can work with great pop artists and comedians and you can take that and you can still play Zanarkis and Lackerman and all the yeah. things that I sort of felt really passionate about as a teenager and sometimes actually it would be even more fun doing that stuff and mm. more, you know, great people. And I just sort of became my career, just became this huge melting pot of working in different venues and essentially being with a sort of a different band every day of people. Mm. So um, I'm glad it appears I had control. I think I have more now um, because I think once you do you know get into a groove of working in a certain you know touring way you have to get picky because yeah. also if you're away from home for nearly four weeks you don't want to be chasing around London doing bits and pieces um but some you know I had a big thing happen I think about three years ago I was about to go out with Brian Ferry for six months and it had all been sorted childcare you know fixed and the producer um his mother died or was mm, dying. Yeah. And three weeks before, after I gave the ch cello dimensions for the flights, all set, he changed his mind. And of course, you know, uh, that sounds sort of pretty normal in our world. But for anyone else with a normal job, that sounds heinous. Yeah. But, 100%. you know, it was like, okay, so we've got to restart. <laughs> yeah. So I, I literally just did the phone call of shame and said to everyone, okay, I'm not going around the world anymore. Um, and actually, once you are open and honest, people are there to help. And I was very, very lucky because then started working more with ENO and the concert orchestra and kind of boosted my London freelance stuff. Yeah. But it's very hard because if you've toured 
you know, America and the world for three years, like I essentially did supporting Brian, people then see you as one of those people that's always away. Yeah. So then you don't necessarily have that freelance work to fall back on. So I think when that tour fell through, that gave me the time to build up the freelance work. So then I felt like I could I could choose a bit more and not take on every single tour abroad or and be around there more for my kids, you know, who also sort of, you know, with that age that really need me. Yeah. When you play with your first concerto that you did with London mm. Sinfonietta, it was um well, how old were you when you did that? So I must have been in my mid uh, early 20s. Yes. Because it's really interesting when you were talking about performance anxiety, you know, and that to me, that must have been a massive moment. How did you feel? Were you complete? Did you feel like you were in your comfort zone doing that? I mean, yes and no. I mean, I was married to the composer in yeah. question yeah. <laughs> at the time, or we were definitely together. Yeah. So I think there was a responsibility, you know, and there was just that sort of terrible feeling of watching this very mature ensemble thinking they only think I'm here because of who I'm going out with and that's a very very hard voice to navigate silence that exactly you know and I think throughout the marriage and throughout that part of my career it took a long time for me to drop the that voice yeah because you know it's it's very very hard and actually I didn't take my ex-husband's surname so I you know there was lots of times of course that people wouldn't have made the association Mm. um but it's really it it was a bit of a shock actually to realize you know I think that's been the hardest thing uh, mentally to deal with lots of things is to believe in yourself enough that you're no that you're there on your own right yeah not at all (laughs) (laughs) saying that concerto isn't really good enough is it (laughs) let's have a look See if I can do it before she gets back. Uh, yes, got it, got it. <laughs> About water. Yes. I had it, you see, I had it confused <laughs> with the double cello concerto that you performed. Oh, yes. Well, that was a guy, that was yeah. awesome. Um, yes, the, About water, that was... The serious fear of about nepotism. <laughs> but, but there's um, always you know, these voices, aren't there? You get there? those voices anyway at for 20 what? for anything. Well, and, quite. And actually, also, the point is, you know, you have to trust that, you know, I'd been at Cheatham since I was nine. Yeah. I'd done pretty well at the Royal College. I was all set to... Yeah. That was going to, you know... And it would have looked like an absolute car crash if I'd played it and it would, you know, fallen apart. So yeah. it was fine, you know, and I got through it and... But it's hard because, of course, I think looking back, it might have hindered me in terms of, you know, because, you know, new music's like, you know, my kind of passion really was sort of really, really hardcore stuff. Yeah. And (laughs) my ex-husband, bless him, he would use a key signature, which would horrify people. So I think sometimes people, you know, would actually maybe not trust my musical integrity because of that association so it could have worked maybe in a negative way as well and and I think as well if you're with someone who's sort of at all well known in well contemporary music apparently is 0.1% of the whole of the music industry is it really so we're talking very (laughs) niche and very niche They, they could almost think it's like well she doesn't really need the gig you know or something like that and even though that was absolute rubbish yeah um so it was a it was a hard thing just to basically start again, you know. Right, yes. but I Absolutely. don't I don't sort of regret it because I think it's it's been quite 
it's 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 been good to soothe those voices mm. to realize that I am on my own and I'm doing okay. Yeah. You know, yeah. So did you, I mean, did you always want to get into contemporary music from a very early age, like when you were nine at Cheetons, was that, were you into it then? Well, or? yeah, I mean, it's sort of bizarre because my mother was an amateur harpsicle player. Oh, right. And so I started off totally broke. So I was like oh. a, this whiz kid recorder player. Yes, I, I saw that. You went, didn't you go to Cheetons as recorder first? I tried to. So they wouldn't let me. They said, you know, to, you know all the repertoire. This oh. is going to, you basically run oh, wow. out of music. No. So I could circular breathe and everything. I mean, it was crazy. Oh. I was like a real little performing oh. monkey. When did you start playing recorder? Seven. Seven. And what I'd do is I'd take the book, the recorder book, to bed and I'd always want to go on further and further. And I think as well my, my parents were both very, very busy dentists and it was a way, it sounds a bit sad, but I could get my mother's attention if I whap the recorder out and I was yeah. like, can we do some Baroque duets, mummy? <laughs> and, and she would like literally wear her white dental clothes and sit down and play with me. And then, of course, um, you sort of slightly, I was from a very small town in Lincolnshire, very rural and um, not many opportunities in the 80s around there, not the best youth orchestra or anything like that. I think if I was Kent or London, you know, I probably wouldn't have gone away. But I, yeah, went to Cheatham's as a recorder player, um, auditioned there and had started the cello maybe a year before because I think they were worried that, you know, it was quite limiting musically. And, yeah, and, and they sort of said, look, if you, do you do anything else? And I said, well, I've, I've composed a bit, I play the cello, piano. And then I got in as a cellist and basically oh. never touched the recorder again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then my parents for my, I think, 11th or 12th birthday... Um, got me tickets to go and see Gawain by Burt Whistle at the Opera House. All right. And I don't know if it was the full frontal nudity, but there was something <laughs> that made me want to know more. And <laughs> yeah. I just loved, I mean, any time I put my hands on a keyboard or the cello, my first thing is to go to dissonance. I just yeah. don't make pretty chords. I mean, I like to hear them, but that's just not where I naturally go to. Yeah. And I've just always been interested as well in presenting something new to audiences because I think I've always been quite, I know what I can do and I know who can do it better. And the amount of Elgars I've palmed off to my best friend Guy Johnston over the years, <laughs> just like, just call him, you know, and I and I have no problem with that because I think that also has been a bit of part, part of being a successful musician is to actually be really honest. Yeah, and also know. like... Musical maturity, actually, in many mm. ways, isn't it? To go, because I think for so many years you feel pressured to be able to do everything and say, oh, I can, or if I try hard enough, I can. Mm. But then when you can start rooting out what you really love and what you're really good at, that's such a joyous thing, isn't yes, it? Yes, absolutely. Turn a corner. And actually also own what you can do. Yeah. Because I think being specialist music school, which I'm sure you can appreciate, you know, you, especially in the 90s and earlier, is like, well... You basically, a career is either being in an orchestra or playing the five cello concertos around yeah. the world or maybe being a teacher, but that's all we can help you with. Yeah. And there wasn't that sort of support for someone like me who just didn't find that interesting. No. And you just have to start finding your own roots. And, you know, and I think even though it sounds like I had, you know, had this incredible opportunity and I did go into that music school, it wasn't as easy for me as it was someone who very clearly wanted that career path. And actually still there is that little bit of the voice that sort of says, wow, you know, is playing, you know, contemporary music in a 
pub with sticky carpets because that really is good as playing somewhere else and doing, you know, or playing with Hugh in the O2 or, you know, and actually you also have to think, well, there's cellists who are maybe doing those big concertos around the world. They might not be able to do what I can do. No, quite right. And that's that's okay. You just have to own that what you give is is just as special and valid. Truly is, yeah. Yeah. Was there anybody along the way that, because you were saying, you know, absolutely, it's really hard going through music uh, school and college to Mm. find people who truly inspire you and kind of get your path and see where you're going and you can really sort of spark off. Did you have anybody that you found along the way like that? Well, I was really lucky at Cheatham's because when I was 10, the sixth form was unbelievable. Mm. Like Dan Harding, um, wow. Hugh Watkins, Tim Horton. I mean, really wow, yeah. great players. Um, and they would invite me hilariously to their um, analysis class in an afternoon. So I would go and sit as a 10-year-old girl next to Dan, who was like going through sort of, you know, Berg Violin Concerto or something really <laughs> complex yeah. with a score. And I would have like a little copy of the score too, probably held upside down. I don't know. <laughs> but just being in the presence of that passion at a young age. And that was a good thing about Cheatham's. You know, we were, you know, 250 of us between nine and 18. And I didn't ever get treated like the nine-year-old. I was a colleague. I was a fellow musician. So they didn't see me as a nine-year-old kid. I was just Gabby, who they invited, you know, the fact that I couldn't even read the score didn't really matter, (laughs) but they made me feel very included. So, and they also loved their contemporary music. I mean, Dan got recognised, you know, because he was conducting Pierre Lunaire with Rattle Hmm. and he was assisting and that he sent a copy of him conducting that at Chet's when he was 16. And so they were always pushing for new music. So I was kind of brought up really with them. And then, I mean, John Adams made a huge impression as well because typically at Cheatham's, um, people wouldn't turn up for really famous people sometimes. And I remember I was sort of doing second study composition and John Adams was in town because it was his 50th birthday and there was a composer's class meant to happen and I was the only one that turned up. It was just extraordinary. Yeah. And the head of um, composition, Jeremy Pike, basically (laughs) bunged like... 50 quid in my hand and said can you take John Adams out for lunch Gabby <laughs> and I literally went out took him out for lunch I mean I would have been a sort of teenager and um where'd you take him Pizza Hut yeah Pizza Hut you yeah. know yeah. <laughs> Nando's <laughs> <laughs> and we went out and he was conducting his birthday concert at the Bridgewater Hall and that I think a couple of days later which he then invited me to and I remember queuing up to go and get his... I was a real autograph geek when I was little. <laughs> I was queuing up to get his autograph and he spotted me at the end of the line from the conductor's room, ran down the thing and was like, Gabby, you turned up, thank you. Oh. And, you know, I mean, I, it was such a thrill. And I think, again, you, you start getting your experiences of actually you can be super famous and be really good human being. Mm. Yeah. And, and to show that kindness to, you know... Uh, a kid was amazing so I was very very lucky to have that experience and then and at music college it took a while but Jerome Pernod my teacher from when I was about 1920 he would then start giving me work opportunities playing quite obscure contemporary music he didn't want to be playing (laughs) so I was palmed off with his gigs but again he was someone that 
could see that I wasn't going to follow the usual career path and that and he didn't give up on me because of my choices were different to his so he really believed in me so that that's was excellent yeah. absolutely and you, you've done some composition as well right you? yeah I did joint principal actually at the oh, Royal college right, yeah. yeah although it was totally unused but I again I because I I had started my technique again essentially when I first started the college it became right. very useful to me to be able to compose and I was again really lucky that Helen Grime was in my year and she was joint principal with oboe and then she switched to just composition and I eventually switched to just cello but back in the day, I don't know if you remember this, Seb, but Ver- Verity <laughs> might, before we were early internet days. And do you remember that paper? Was it called Loot? Paper? or paper? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Was it Parchment? Yeah, yeah Parchment with a quill. But there was these adverts, and that's yeah. how you would find bands. Oh, yeah. I don't know what it was, yeah. Pink, I think. It was either called Loot, loot. or... Yes, Loot! Yeah. And you would find you your that's how you found your flat. Yeah, I found your yeah. flat. Yeah. And there was a section where they were looking for musicians. And because I wasn't really allowed to play an orchestra or chamber music, yeah. I started joining joining really, really appalling indie bands. <laughs> <laughs> Generally rehearsing in Finsbury Park, not yeah. in the nice part. And <laughs> I would go along and they couldn't read or write music. So I would start arranging their sort of slightly dubious pop songs um and it was a really really handy skill and even though I wasn't particularly interested in having my first symphony played by a professional orchestra I was like oh this is quite a handy thing yeah and rather than you know at the Royal College where you expected to you know that sort of late 90s London Sinfonietta style where everything had a flutter tongue alto flute and a crotal and it all sounded like that that sound world mm. it was very distinctive um, it's changed now, but that was definitely the style. And you would only kind of get celebrated if you wrote that kind of music. But here I was in Frisbee Park, like literally being treated like a goddess because I could <laughs> write four notes, semi-briefs. Yeah. <laughs> and it just made me feel really good about myself. And then that started that sort of you know line of working with singer-songwriters because then I worked with Sade and Charlotte Church all uh-huh. at college. Amazing. And although it was like the biggest dirty secret... You know, I played my Ronnie Scott's debut, I think, at 19. And, you know, and again, it felt weird because I was the only person really doing that. And then I had to kind of go back to an institution where I didn't really tell them, you know, that's what I was up to. But God, composition was really handy. And again, I improvise a lot now and I really care as well about working with composers that... I don't want to be one of those instrumentalists that will throw their instrument down and say, you can't play that. <laughs> you know, I want to be able to say, well, have you thought about notating it like that? And, you know, just be able to get a pen and put it to paper and show them just a basic, you know, tip, I think has been a really important part, again, of trying to support young composers, which is another thing I really care about. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, there was... Uh... Uh, Mike Poyser was telling me he mm. played a piece of yours called Spit. Yeah. Was it for Brass Band? I wrote for the Brickhouse and Master oh, Band. Oh, yes. Right. Fantastic name. Thank you. I didn't come up with it. Oh. I wish I'd owned it. <laughs> <laughs> they really liked it. Yeah, they I think you can hear there's a mini disc recording of it. There's a lot oh, right. of warp whistles. <laughs> oh, right. And then they tried to get me on the bus with them back to Yorkshire. Did they? Yes. <laughs> um, I didn't go. I was with Anna Kenyon, actually. We'll never forget it. Um, it was brilliant. It was a real experience, actually. But again, you know, I was—I look back now, and I, of course, I wish I'd done more with my composition. But I'd, 
I think, again, to, you know, going back to my relationship I was in, you know, mm. when you're with someone who's incredibly good at what they do, mm. it's very natural, early 20s, to think, I think you can just do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And how was it after taking a long time, like you say, to basically mm. support your partner's career mm. and have children and all those wonderful things, um, how was it then coming back to performing full time? It was terrifying. Yeah. Um, I went and had lessons again I, yeah. with my old che- teacher, Gillian Thode. Oh, did from you? From Cheatham's, who was just incredibly kind. And it was really, I was slight, it was slight baptisms and fire because then I got asked to be in Gwilym Simcock Quintet mm. quite quickly afterwards. And Gwilym and I great. had been, you know, at music school from nine years old. And I think it was this. I mean, I could have probably wept every single phone call of a booking I got. I found it very emotional. I was like, you yeah. really want to ask me? <laughs> and it was terrible. I had no self-confidence. But actually, that was sort of the key, is was really working with very patient friends. Because, you know, I generally had a one-year-old and a three-year-old that would come along. Mm. And would like... You know, Tom Gould, who was the violinist in the quintet, would just be horrified by my <laughs> rehearsal etiquette because there'd be sheets of music everywhere covered with <laughs> things. And here was this kind of trendy young bachelor, like <laughs> looking at this pitiful woman, could not hold it together. Um, but actually music became, the gigs became my escape, you know, and it became a safe place. And it was so important because I realised then that actually I do need both in my life. Mm. I need to be playing the cello. I need to be doing this job that I was already to do. And that makes me a better, you know, mother mm. and vice versa. Absolutely. So I learned pretty early on that I had to do it. But also it was about finding the right kind of gigs early on. Yeah. Had you been was, missing you know. it through that time? Did you know, mm. you, or maybe you didn't realise how much you had was that more I think a little bit I you know it was very it was a hard one because especially when he got the job with Chicago Symphony I was here you know I mean of course it was such a privilege to sit through lots of incredible rehearsals and learn that but of course there comes a point where you're there watching some you know four and a half thousand people applaud for something that you didn't create Mm. and it becomes limiting after a while you know you want to be up there and you know and it wasn't like I'd stopped completely but you know I it was just not the priority and every year I thought it might be and then eventually it could become my priority and then after the initial fear and can I do this and am I good enough have I forgotten what to do you realize that actually and I've talked a lot about this to lots of mothers, especially who've been at music school, you know, who then have a break to have children. You did a lot of practice early on. <laughs> <laughs> it does. It's you're ready to go. Yeah. And I think we're just so self-critical yeah. about what we what we can't do that we forget that actually, you know, what our kind of terrible is can be someone else's really good. Yeah. And you learn just to be a bit kinder to yourself and... You know, and then over the years, the more experience I did and when I got my childcare sorted out and that kind of thing, then, you know, I felt, I've, I've definitely felt much more confident. Yeah, you know. that's fair. It gives you a sort of renewed sense of passion for it, doesn't it, as well, I think. Totally. Having yeah. had the kids and, and I expect you feel the same now, like the difference yeah. with being... <laughs> it's early days for you, Seb, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but there is that joy when you go out, like, 
I just feel it's exactly what you said. It brings such to both areas. So you're mm. playing. It brings you've got this renewed sense of love, but then you go home and oh, you great. feel like you're more ready to deal with everything going on at home. You don't sweat the small stuff. No, anymore. and that's the beautiful joy. I mean, you know, the pickles. I think it's a lot of my girlfriends get into about you know, oh God, what they look like on stage and <laughs> all that sort of stuff. You know, and actually, it's so nice just to be a bit more relaxed and you know, you've got that grounding, which I don't think you know some people don't quite have and i think that could be really healthy mm, you know? absolutely when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring at blue you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online choose your diamond and setting when you found the one you'll get it delivered right to your door Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Um, talking about what, what you look like on stage. Um, yeah. You, you've got a fantastic stage presence. Thanks, uh, and, uh, So have you. Oh, thanks. <laughs> thanks very much. But uh, is that something you thought about? Um, because I, I think... It, it makes you completely stand out and 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 mm. i think I, I was watching a clip on um on youtube of of you playing with judith owen and mm. pedro segundo and, yeah. and he's someone else so it's similar he's kind of he i think he's realized that um there's an element of sort of showmanship almost mm. to performance and and it's a visual thing as well as a an audio audio thing Absolutely. and and oh uh, yeah when you're on stage you, you're you're sit up straight and you sort of you look around and i, I love that it's, uh, it's it's perfect for that kind of collaborative atmosphere and i think the audiences enjoy it yeah i think you you, you know you have to obviously be sympathetic to the show you're doing oh, yeah of course yeah. um but i that's but that's kind of why i pick those kind of environments because yeah i've always been a huge fan of you know singers generally and musical theater and lots of things now you know probably in a different life if i could sing more than a terrible bvs i have to do sometimes <laughs> that would be my thing you know because yeah. actually i do think it's really important and i think classical musicians sometimes have no idea how awful and horrible they can look on stage mm. you know just in the sense that they it's almost a, it's a kind of a slight arrogance really mm. i find and that she mm. i think it's so important to give the audience a show because it is one and and think about what you're wearing and yeah you know how you appear and that you know i have some incredible incredibly talented musician friends who've got the worst resting bitch face ever <laughs> <laughs> and they just have no idea that when you were when you're an audience member you want to feel relaxed and yeah. enjoy something and of course this is very much music dependent um you know, you're not going to sort of do jazz hands if you're playing the Brahms piano concerto. Oh, I don't you know. know. <laughs> Maybe some of my friends, actually. But, you know, I think that's, I think it's really important. And I've always learned from the singers I've worked for, um, 
actually about that and about communicating with the audience and making people feel relaxed and talking more. And I do broadcasting as well. And that's also another part that I'm really interested in because I think presenting music these days is the key. And if we can kind of get, you know, slightly less precious about it, we've Mm. got more of a chance of actually communicating what we want to musically. So I love wearing, you know, nice dresses and I do like putting my makeup on and I'm yeah. ashamed about it. You no, know, like, absolutely. I, like, I just enjoy that kind of spectacle. Yeah. Um, and also I really enjoy, you know, not the, my only gripe about things, which sadly does come with the territory now, is that I hate rehearsals being filmed and oh, I yeah. hate having to dress up for that yeah for some sessions where they sort of say okay make up ready girls that mm. horrifies me yeah because i do find like rehearsals is the safe space mm. to yeah. mess up to not put makeup on a big dress it's a different headspace mm. isn't yeah. it as well totally that's i don't know crazy. if you both found that over yeah the years, that yeah it's like, you know that's definitely something that used to be sacred mm. and i think that was a beautiful mysterious thing about what we did as well is what happens and then the audience see this sort of glamorous sort of end results so I do have a gripe because for me you know I it's not like I dress up like that to do the school run you know it's definitely part of a performance and you know I remember I did a skunk Nancy gig and working with skin you know unbelievable because you know she was just the whole package she looked extraordinary and I love that collaboration in the arts as well that she obviously has her designer she works with yeah and she just thinks about it in that whole level and I think that's always been an interesting thing to me in fact there's a composer called Charlotte Bray and Charlotte's Mm. thinking about writing me a concerto which actually goes with the fashion element and works about like how the composition is about how a dress is cut so it's going to go through the similarities of fashion and music, which, mm. again, is a, something that's always been a big interest to me as well. Yeah. yeah. It's going kind of Nancy. Oh, I bet she was amazing. What did you do with her then? What was so the we did her live album at Cadogan Hall. Did you? And it was amazing because, um, well, first of all, I got one of those performance anxiety phone calls saying, so um, the only way you can get this gig is if you do backing vocals. Oh, oh Wow. <laughs> <laughs> it's that terrible thing you're like you really want to do it so you're like okay how far can i push this <laughs> and then luckily the last hour they said don't worry they've got a backing singer now so it's the relief you know because of course her voice was just awesome yeah but i think you know growing up in the 90s and being a fan of all those bands i was terrified of <laughs> yeah. that you yeah. know but she was such a pussycat and just so yeah. delightful oh. and actually they did the cadogan hall so beautifully and they got this amazing designer in. It looks great. I think the fans couldn't believe their luck that they finally had working toilets and no mosh pits, <laughs> you know. But it's on, yeah, it's on a live live DVD album and um, just lovely strings playing for her. It was quite small and oh. beautiful arrangements. And it was just it's always joyous as well to watch fans, like, you know, be really happy that their artist is back. 
yeah and know all the words and you know i really love that because even though i you know i liked her stuff i didn't know every every song yeah it's always nice to be part of those kind of gigs you know? that's such a wonderful thing yeah. i think that's a, a massive thing when you were talking about hugh jackman earlier mm. i was really intrigued to know about the audiences because i yes. i think they are they're just such super fans and that's mm. a massive difference with classical music totally. i mean wouldn't it be great to go and do a huge gig where the fans are going crazy yeah. for Brahms. Well, Japan, I'd say Japan, apparently, that, you know, if you go on tour like the LSO... Oh, seriously? They get, like, oh, right. fans kind yeah. of, like, queuing up and there's a, there's that kind of culture, I think. Yeah. Um, but Italy yes, as well is a bit crazy. Yeah, you I remember doing an opera there and um, a fight breaking out in the audience. Ooh. It was amazing. <laughs> they just got really into it. And, yeah. <laughs> Massive scrap. That's so brilliant. exciting. <laughs> yeah, I think for the Hugh Jackman thing, I finally made... Made my daughter proud that was definitely, and it was fabulous you know i was basically in front of i think twenty two thousand gay men and 10 year old <laughs> girls and it was just and again that's coming back to classical music as you said you know we can learn from that mm. i think sometimes we actually forget what is popular and actually popular doesn't hurt no and we can learn from what actually gets a crowd going you know rob um debank the guy who used to run festival yeah. we did a big gig there with lizzie ball who i work with a lot mm. and that was really interesting because i learned so much from that gig because we were playing quite on the main stage i think early on a sunday morning and we'd come out with this amazing set list robert helped us with vivaldi and massive attack and all of this mm. stuff and there's this incredible club anthem by um sebastian tellier called Rit- oh. ritonelle yeah yeah now, you're already smiling because you know what I'm going to say. So basically, me and Lizzie were like, well, it's, it's a bit long for the set. Maybe we can cut it in about three and a half minutes. And Lizzie went up to Rob DeBank and sort of said, so we're just going to fade out like that one. He looked at me and Lizzie was like, girls, you have to trust me that when the vocals come in, they're going to go mental. <laughs> and that's exactly what happened. Yeah. Because actually, he knows what makes people move. Yeah. And we don't. Yeah. And it's okay to learn from those guys because they've got it down, you know. And I think that's the problem. We're always working in such a small niche of an industry yeah. that, yeah. you know, it's really great to actually see what Joe Public actually really Big wants time. to hear. And you can mm. bring that into then yeah. what we're doing. So we were talking yeah. to Charles Hazelwood about quite similar things mm. um, way back now, it seems like, yeah, yeah. in the early days. <laughs> yeah. um, but it's really interesting, I think, putting it into different settings. And so, like you were saying, playing at Bestival, and you did a set at Wilderness as well, didn't yes. you? Yeah, that was my um, band. That's great. Taking it into these different settings, making it accessible, but but not compromising what you're doing. It's just great. So mm. what, what were you doing at Wilderness? Actually? So I've got my band called Urban Family, and... Um, and I brought 16 classical musicians to their first festival. It was hilarious. That's great. <laughs> I, th- I think Wilderness was a good start because, I mean, it's the most middle class festival there is. There's like a mindfulness yurt for children. I mean, surely children are pretty mindful anyway. And there was like Heston Blumenthal's hog roast. And yeah, it was absolutely bonkers. But it was really, really interesting because, again, we just presented... The normal stuff we do, which of course is a mixed bag. I love playing tangos and rearranging Bartok and Stravinsky for crazy ensembles and that kind of thing. And actually, it was at the beginning of that trend with you know music festivals where we became the cultural part. Yeah, and you know RSC were going there and orchestras. I think Ian O did their first Glastonbury that year, 
And it was a real delight, actually, because we we really got into it. Yes. And the excitement when, you know, I think it was actually festival. We met the Chuckle Brothers in the morning and then Jackson 5 in the evening. Oh, okay. And we just didn't hide our fangirlness, you know. We it's like were I'm just... a celebrity, get me out of here. That's it a was, hell of a lineup. It's like, when does that ever happen at the World Festival? No, Hall, you know? exactly. <laughs> it was great. And then I did Secret Garden Party. <laughs> it's just like the most druggy one. I did the bark to baby tent. Oh, did and you? And of course, no one brings their kids to the drugs one. No. So it was just me playing the prelude of the first bark suite to two babies. <laughs> <laughs> Smoky split. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Right. Chilled out once. What do you want? Which one are you on? G? Okay, I'll do G. That's fine. That's great. Oh, God. I mean, now I'm way too old for that, but it was it was definitely a fun stage. And actually, it was just brilliant because you realise at these music festivals, that's where a lot of people get their culture for mm. the year. You know, they spend loads yeah. of money. And, I, you know, in an ideal world, they'll think, oh, we really enjoyed that five minutes of Shakespeare. Let's go and support yeah. the globe. Um, it doesn't always happen like that, but it's nice just to, again, just enjoy it and actually, again, find people that, always want to go to a music festival yeah you know and, and hear new stuff that you wouldn't usually hear totally i love it we uh, went to played at um oh god i was gonna say into the green man last year oh, nice and there were so many sort of new bands coming out i saw some amazing amazing people somebody called jockstrap they were great oh brilliant like, like a bit of jockstrap yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but it's yeah i love it it's just so great and mm. hopefully the same thing will happen then on the converse side where you'll get people coming and seeing um orchestras or different ensembles and just thinking okay yeah maybe this is for me yeah exactly you know yeah. but again as i said it's you know finding the right musicians yeah you, know, you, you do not want to have someone in a festival who's the worst vibe killer ever no. you know? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it was quite strategic with who i chose that's for sure yeah. you know although i was telling someone we we're talking about glastonbury recently and he he's he's in a really well-known band and he was like always in the nice hotel and on the BMW picks you up oh, wherever, yeah. whenever you want. And I thought, yeah, about to hit 40. That's probably, <laughs> yeah. probably the way good. to do it Sounds now. You know. yeah. I do like those golf buggies, but then it's really embarrassing when people look at you and you feel like the Queen Mum sort of oh, yeah, totally. going slowly past them, you know, waving. Oh, yeah, I love it. I got taken on them at the Olympics because I was so heavily pregnant. And I think they were very worried because I was really excited. And everyone was like, just calm down, sit on the buggy. But there was only enough room for me and my eldest son and my husband had to run along the side. It's so funny. It's brilliant. Oh, those Um, were days. I thought we'd uh, talk about the um, the VE Day concert you did at the Albert Hall. Oh, yeah. yeah. That was was so cool because that was one of the first sort of bits of music. Mm. It's a live music during the lockdown. Yes, absolutely. How was that? Well, I thought it was a sick joke because <laughs> oh, really? I literally, for some reason, I got left off an email chain and I got an email on Monday saying, we're so delighted that you've agreed to meet us, you know, to do the VE Day celebrations at the Albert Hall. Catherine Jenkins is especially excited about working with you. Right. And this was, you know, the height of lockdown. Yeah. It's like week six or something. And I wrote back saying, I'm really sorry. I think you've got the wrong person. Or are you talking about a different year? Have I? They said, are you Gabriella Swallow? I was like, yes. And they said, well, are you free on Thursday? And I sort of <laughs> <laughs> pretended to check my diary, make some page noises. And I said, actually, I am. And they said, would you come and play um, a couple of tunes for Catherine? 
And it was really, really bizarre. The whole thing was so surreal because, I mean, I hadn't really got out of my pyjamas. And <laughs> so I found uh, there's a lady that I wear a lot of her dresses. So I said, you've got a dress. So she got me a dress. And then I had a, the, it was one of the assistant MDs on Hamilton, actually, was the MD. So I knew him. And we went through that on Zoom. We had a Zoom rehearsal. And then a car kind of picked me up. And it was really strange to be at the Albert Hall because I think the last big gig I did there was the Ronnie Scott Scala. So I was oh, doing Hendrix wow. with Nigel Kennedy as a duet. Yeah. Like, absolutely mental evening. Didn't get back yeah. from Ronnie's till eight o'clock in the morning, <laughs> you know, covered with people. It was extraordinary. And then this time it was so surreal because it was the first of the new normal. It was the mm. temperature and weren't allowed to mingle and the vibe was not great. Mm. Um, it was lovely, you know, just to see a human because I had not really left Muswell Hill where I live. And actually, it, it, it was it was really lovely because it was done very quickly. I think yeah. I was in and out within about two hours and then back in my pyjamas, you know, <laughs> <laughs> a couple of hours later. But it was it was that sort of surreal kind of dreamy sort of land. It's like, oh, gosh, you know, are we really here? But I think that was a it, it was a hopeful sign for musicians really because it yeah. was like something is happening mm. and we can you know move forward from there and um yeah it was it was a oh it was just very, that's a big old nice. space to be by oh, yes, yourself I didn't really basically think of it, like that. <laughs> <laughs> it was i mean it was it was it was surreal just playing um to a totally empty Albert hall mm. Um, but it did feel like I had a massive responsibility for the entire musical oh. community. <laughs> Don't mess no it pressure. up. <laughs> <laughs> that that, that uh, stage can sometimes feel... It's not, I, I do like... Um, I play there mm. properly sometimes, but I do like the Brass Band Championship. Oh, yes. There. If we qualify to the finals uh, with Zone 1 Brass. Uh, Is it called Zone, Zone 1, one Brass? Zone 1 Brass. Is it Zob oh. for short? Zob, yeah. Yeah, I remember them. Yeah. And, uh, but, um, Best in their price range. <laughs> they are, yeah. Joking. That's right. um, and uh, but yeah, it's, it's quite easy to, to go on stage, sit down in your chair, mm. and then forget to like look around and go, "Oh yeah, I'm in the Royal Albert Hall." Because like you're in this, mm. and so I find that on that stage because it's and this acoustics are kind of weird there. Yeah, like, and so you can. It doesn't. Sometimes it doesn't really feel like a massive room. Sometimes it sort of feels mm. like. I don't know. You can just easily. It can be very intimate. Around. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, because of the lighting as well. I didn't have that horror of seeing four and a half thousand seats. No. You know, you can kind of, and I always find it sort of slightly less intimidating with that. Um, but yes, you know, I've done so, so many weird gigs there and actually it didn't, you didn't have that sort of similar adrenaline as you are for like the Ronnie's gig, which mm. was, you know, truly terrifying because you don't know what Nigel's going to do next. No. <laughs> so it definitely felt more relaxed than that, you know. Did you tour with him? when Because mm. Lizzie, I know Lizzie was for a long time. Yeah, so she was in the orchestra back in the day. Yeah. So I'm, I'm in his band now. Oh, are and you? Yes. So we we meant to be in, yeah, we, we were going to do a lot for Hendrix's anniversary this yeah. year. So a lot of it's going to be happening hopefully in the next couple of years now. Oh, that's exciting. But yes, we both, I mean, Nigel again, actually talking about people who have really been influenced, influential in my career. He was one of those people that made what I cared about, like it felt safe. Like yeah. It's okay. And we would see him as teenagers at Chet's and I mean, <laughs> yeah. We would, he would like let the violinists play his violin and really enthusiastic. And that's the thing about Nigel. He's really believes in, in young people 
and wants to encourage people. And touring with him, I mean, I've done the Four Seasons tour a couple of times and now the Gershwin tour, which is basically his arrangements of Gershwin. Oh, and cool. then some, we do some Bach as well. And, you know, it's it's always a massive musical adventure. And the, the, I'd say the, the thing that I absolutely adore about him, I mean, there's two major things. Like, he always makes me play the best I ever can. He just eyeballs me and he just brings out this other level, which I think we can all appreciate. That's so exciting. Yeah. You know, yeah. and that's worth everything when someone actually makes you play the best you can. And the other thing I really find fascinating about him is the way that he does still play solo Bach and sometimes as an encore if we're not doing we do a, a duet for cello and um, a, an arrangement of the partita for cello and violin mm. that he's done and if we don't do that I just sit behind and he just plays solo Bach to the audience and it's like there's no filter there's no barrier it's just him the music to that audience it's just extraordinary mm. there's just total magic Oh. And the control over that and all the things that happen off stage, you know, because he's still a party boy. <laughs> that's all forgiven because actually that that's the bit that keeps me really interested. Well, he just can deliver it, can't he? He oh, just is phenomenal. Unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. Wouldn't want to manage him. <laughs> I, I don't have to, you know, yeah. and I, I've had a great working relationship with him. Are those and... tours chaotic? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, the, you know, it's just extraordinary. He, he, he can still have fun and function and play really well. I can't have that much fun and play. <laughs> so I tend to hold on to the same beer for a few hours. <laughs> I look like wise. I'm part of the party, but I'm normally in bed with a good book by 10 p.m. <laughs> but yeah, and he's really keen on, you know, me playing electric and improvising and the Hendrix stuff, actually. I love his Hendrix album and, you know, and actually he gets the music. And that's the other thing with Nigel, which we both have, is that we both went to specialist music school. He went to you know, Juilliard, but he would hang out at the Blue Note, like yeah. I'd hang out at Ronnie's and 606 Club. And we both learned so much more even from outside our institutions than being inside them mm. and then have fed that back into what we do. And his love of jazz and Hendrix, like my love of all the similar things, plus soul and funk and, you know, all the music I like, that's authentic mm. and it doesn't kind of feel like oh there's just someone a classical musician who's trying to do this to kind of tick a few boxes it's no like, absolutely i really i love it i know yeah. uh, the jazz history and all of that yeah. stuff because it's always been part of the stuff i care about and that's something i really respect in him mm. yeah you've got to steep yourself in it haven't you to, to, oh, yeah. to play all that kind mm. of stuff absolutely you can't just fake it no but do you, do you think you you have to you have to go to some kind of institution to to get to have a career like you have? Do you, do you think you you need to go to like a, a Cheatham's, or maybe not Cheatham's, but, mm. but at least like the Royal College of Music or one of the other London colleges or, or other or the other ones in the country <laughs> yeah. or around the world? Um, do you think that's necessary? I mean, I think the further down the line and the more musicians who I've mixed with from different genres, I think that is actually, it's only one route. And it's hard because, of course, I probably should have gone to university looking back to have made me a bit more of a well-rounded person and this is something I thought a lot about recently is that I mean it was only until I did antenatal classes when I was 27 did I actually hang out with non-musicians that's yeah. a long way to get through to life to actually meeting people yeah. who do lots of different jobs 
And I think everything I've learned is in just the, you know, basic life skills, geography, history has been as a working musician. I don't think those institutions set me up to actually be a well-rounded functioning adult. Mm. They might make me a, a good cellist who can deliver that. But I've realised in life there's so much more to just being a good instrumentalist. And I think that I, I, I do envy people who've had much more of a well-rounded you know, um, start in life to, to me and still can be musicians and still can do <laughs> and be really great company. And when I always find like every conversation always comes back to music because that's <laughs> what I can talk about. And, you know, and there are so many different ways of doing it. And I think maybe my particular route has been slightly because I fought against the institutions, not aggressively but just because they didn't necessarily provide me with those things that I did have to seek out my own work and hustle early on and say yes to people that you know that they wouldn't have necessarily approved of me working with yeah so in my particular way yes music college was a good thing um but also you you know I've got children who are really love their music but they're certainly not doing what I did when I was that age mm. and that's been quite interesting because I sort of sometimes almost don't know quite what to do with them if they don't practice three hours a day yeah. so I've just had to learn to sort of step back and think okay they could still be professional musicians doesn't necessarily mean that they won't and it's okay if they're not professional musicians you know so I've just had to kind of relive my childhood again and sort of think yeah you know being sent away at nine not necessarily the best thing yeah. And, you know, and I, I've really worked hard very much on kind of understanding why my parents did that. Because I think, again, having two medical parents and be told that your kid is one of five in Europe that's been accepted this prestigious place must have felt pretty great. Yeah. You know, yeah. and I do I do get that. But I think now, after 30 years down the line, the, the uh, kind of ideas of, what sending your child away does to the child has been thankfully reviewed and now kids are encouraged to go home all the time. And yeah. Parents are encouraged to relocate. I still go into Cheatham's and give talks to people about this and really say, you know, it is a massive sacrifice and it's a sacrifice not just, you know, missing your parents. It's a sacrifice what that does to you by being a gifted child mm. in the whole scheme of things about what I'm, I always tell people I knew at 10 that I was never going to be an astronaut. <laughs> and I think that's the thing of having a child, you know, children should feel that they can do anything. Yeah. And I didn't feel like that very, very young. I knew that this is now I was training to, to do this one job, yeah. which is very young to specialize. So I think, you know, there's a lot of that, you know, idea of like, having options which is very healthy as a as a child and then what that can do to the dynamics of a family I mean my sister didn't have a sister mm. really I was just I mean it must have been awful for what her. did your sister do was she musical as well she sung, sings very well yeah but we don't really have much of a relationship now and mm. I, I'm pretty sure that's all down to that childhood stuff of mm. you know your elder sister goes away for three and a half weeks you know comes back once one night a month and apparently she would like cry in my bed oh. the nights that I would go away. And then 
you know, you only find out this sort of stuff as an adult. And it mm. must have been awful for her being then the only sibling in a house of dentists. Mm. Just hearing my parents talk about dentistry. You get your sibling back for one night, then they're gone again. The parents make a huge fuss over this gifted child who's, you know, so it's like music's always taken me away from that. So in a terms of having that kind of rooted family, I don't, I've never had it. Mm. I don't know what it's like. Yeah. And I think now as a parent... You know, my my children are very much raised by a village of very obscure people, <laughs> jazz musicians, drag queens, you know, you name it. People have looked after my kids. And I think that has been really important because I want the kids to feel a sense of belonging, yeah. which I didn't really feel as a child. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, they're lovely kids. I've met, met them. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, so, yeah, so in, like... Like Bam Bam is so individual and yes, just, <laughs> she knows who she is. I know, and that's why I'm quite. Is it okay to be envious of your child? Absolutely, yeah. I, mean, I always say to people, if I was half the woman Bam Bam is now, you know, I'd be very happy. And I, I do. A lot of it comes from, I think, her having to be around adults that are not necessarily me or her father mm. from such a young age. And you know, Bam Bam loves a tour bus as well. I mean, she <laughs> loves coming out on tour and meeting Hugh and all of those things and actually she does hold her own space and I think mm. that's the bit that you know Bam Bam has got boundaries which it's taken me years to to get and I think again that happens because she's just had to yeah and I'm yeah I'm lucky and Milo's a different kettle of fish he's much more of a pleaser like me yeah you know? but they're both pretty independent and well, it's really yeah. interesting what you were saying, that thing of, you know, being narrowed from such a young age when you mm. when you do show musical aptitude and, and you know, a willingness to do it. Yes. It is funny with your own children. I find exactly the same mm. thing. My eldest plays violin, my youngest plays trumpet. And it is funny to think, you know, let's leave it to them to see how they go. I'm not actively encouraging or discouraging yes. them in either way. You know, I want them to get the best from themselves. Mm. But it's strange because I think I look at Theo and think, well, by your age, I knew yeah. that this was what I wanted to do. Yeah. And, and obviously it's very different for him. But then it's quite hard to parent, isn't it, in it's that very, way? very, very hard because you want them to also have that opportunity of just the social element of music. Yeah. You know, and the joy of chain music or whatever. But with the day that Milo gave up the cello was a bit of a sad day for me because I just uh-huh. sort of thought, oh, God, I've, you know, I just wanted him just to have that thrill um, without you know, necessarily, of course, doing it as a profession, but... You know, now he wants to be a professional gamer and streamer. Oh, you know, wow. Exactly the same. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's all a, about oh, Fortnite in our house. It's all about Fortnite. <laughs> and it's really difficult because it's very hard not to be a bit judgmental about it. Yeah, 100%. You know, but then again, we are 30 years down the line and there's lots of other ways. And especially at the moment, arts isn't the most stable environment to be working in. So I kind of just have also stepped back, I think maybe a little bit too much. I mean, my daughter Bams is singing very beautifully and mm. she actually is now talking about going to my school to Cheatham's. Yeah. Because, you know, wow. at 13, she wants to become a singer. and But she also went to, I had an alumni concert there and she sold the CDs in the interview in the interval. And apparently in the break, one of the teachers took her around and showed her and she saw all of these girls the same age as her playing football with ball gowns, you know, <laughs> in the yard. She just said, this is where I need to be. You know? So I can understand that. But again, it's just for my kids, certainly about having the options that I didn't have, mm. trying to just allow them to come to music in their own way. Mm. And they're very good at 
enjoying concerts and that's the bit i suppose i'm i'm thrilled about mm. they've seen so many concerts i can trust them for two hours that they'll sit through a difficult opera yeah that's a great thing <laughs> it's not too bad yeah, that's, that's an excellent parent <laughs> <laughs> Go. Oh, Thank thanks, you, Gabby. Gabby. Oh, yeah. That was so fun. Us. She's so good, yes. and you can really tell that she uh, broadcasts as well because her voice is amazing, for one. Yes, yes. <laughs> and she's just so good. In fact, she was unnervingly succinct about things sometimes because she'd so ah. neatly wrap up a conversation. <laughs> we get to the end of it and be like, "Oh, okay, next thing." Yeah. <laughs> I know. I, I, I'd be just staring at her and go, yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah. She's like, she's very uh, engaging. And, yeah. uh, and then she'll just sum it up, sum a sentence up like a, a, in a neat bow. And then, you go, <laughs> yes. Oh, she's finished. Oh, my mind has gone blank. And my, my note, I brought a notebook, but it's on the table. <laughs> I need to look at my notes. I've just gone blank. What's wrong? How, how I want to know this. How does Michael Parkinson do it? Oh goodness only knows. How does he do it? Is he getting fed lines? Is he is he just <laughs> is, that, is he putting in the work? Is he putting in the, the time? What do you think? It's it's tough what, interviewing, isn't it? I really think it is. I really I know we've got a terribly hard job, haven't we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's hard. How do it you do is it? hard. But you can really tell I you know, Wogan was a legend at it, wasn't he? I think Graham Norton's yeah. very good. Yeah. Yeah, he's really good. They can think on their feet, can't they? But also, it's I think as well, because we've had so many wonderful guests, but lots of whom, and I know I do it all the time, where you just, you fill silences. Like, I just talk, as you may have noticed. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so, I've noticed that. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, when she does it, she's very at ease with herself and calm. So she could just finish something, and that's fine. And I just don't know that we were prepared for that. <laughs> No, I mean, she, she's got it right. That's yeah, the way to has. do it. she has. She has. It's great. So um, thanks, Gabby. Lovely yeah, to see thanks you. For, <laughs> yeah, very nice to see you. Yeah. And, um, yeah, uh, so um, have you had a nice week, Verity? What have you done? Well, actually, I feel much more upbeat than I did last week because I know I was like, um, well, a bit of a grey cloud last week when we were chatting. <laughs> Yeah. It's been okay. I mean, there's been some nice things have been happening. It was great to talk to Jesse yesterday as well, wasn't it? Um, about this event that's coming up next week, the Let Music Live one. I'm really looking forward to going and play for that. Yeah, um, if you haven't listened to it already, there's a bonus episode which uh, refers to this uh, yes. Let Music Live event, which which uh, is happening, will have happened yeah. by the time you've listened to it, depending on where you're listening, uh, on, the, on Tuesday the 6th of October. Yeah. Big, big yes. event in uh, Parliament Square where we're all going to play Mars. Or, yes, about uh, 400 people, something like that, I think. And yeah, there's yeah. one happening concurrently, concurrently up in Birmingham. Yeah, that, yeah. at the same time. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no need for that. <laughs> so it's great. It should be um, really exciting and just hopefully sort of push the message a bit more. That we all yeah. need some blimmin' help to keep this music industry going yeah you never know you've got to try everything yeah you do um how about you did Seth? You do, oh sorry uh, yeah i was gonna say um yeah. did you do a uh, a concert this week i you did said you do did a some concert sort of... yeah i did yeah. one of the front room concert series with the with the cohen ensemble and it was 
really wonderful. Um, Jake Cohen, who is a conductor and a composer, and we played yeah. one of his compositions. Then we played some Holst and some Bartok and some Elgar. Oh, it was so brilliant. It was so lovely. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, so it was a string orchestra and it was just a fabulous. And yeah, really, really enjoyed it. It's great. Yeah. Quite overwhelmed, to be honest. <laughs> oh. It was lovely. How about you? Because you were playing a concert as well. Yeah, I did a concert on um, Thursday uh, in my friend Jessie Grimes' back garden. Amazing. And she's uh, she's been doing this a brilliant series on Facebook where she streams it every week, a different concert, and it's yeah. called Jessie's Homemade Garden Jam. And <laughs> this week, um, it's basically, it's brilliant. It's like she, she I mean, she's a brilliant gardener with her wife, Emma, and they, I haven't been in a garden for ages because the old you know this that and the other yeah but, um so i went went there and it's it's so good they've got everything growing in there it's brilliant Aww. and um this week we went uh it was a brass quintet and we uh did we played some uh music from ground force and Very the good. poddington peas and <laughs> uh and i arranged um there's the gershwin three preludes oh i love the, them the yes um but we did that so brass quintet and jesse she's a excellent clarinet player so um and that, that i think that worked worked quite well so that oh, was, i'm gonna go, really go back and take a listen to that is it still on it's yeah, everywhere, yeah it's is on it? um it's on facebook Great. um and if you search for jesse's homemade garden jam right we'll then do. you'll find it there and yeah. there's a link in it t- uh, and all the money goes to help musicians oh fab um and all that kind of uh, thing, and uh, it, yeah, it, it's just really fun. It, it's so fun playing playing brass quintet. Yeah, it's uh, it's, uh, it's it's I guess it's like playing string quartet, isn't it? Yeah. It's kind of, um, and especially playing uh, new arrangements because I, I arranged all, all the music for it, and uh, so just to, I didn't know if it was going to work at all, and just all those little things you do in rehearsals, just going. Or should we try that? You, let's try it with a mute. Or, or yeah. those things missed that so much. It was really nice. Just oh, that's so good! People. Hooray! Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, so that was really fun. Yeah, well, there good. we are. It's good all round, then, isn't it? This week. Yeah, <laughs> it is good all round. It is, isn't and, it? And uh, yeah, um, I'm looking forward to. Uh, well, we're, we're in the past at the moment, but yeah, looking forward to this uh, Holst thing in in London. Yeah, the old absolutely let music yeah. live. Yeah, I think and there's going to be got a, a lot of people there, hundreds of people. So, so I don't know. So it's turn many. up. Yeah. yeah. It's going to be it's gonna immense. Be Who's going to be there? It's going to be great. I know. I know. So exciting. And we'll have, we'll be there armed with our phones ready to record people, which could go either way, couldn't it? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to try and do some guerrilla interviewing. Yeah, be exciting. And, uh, <laughs> see what happens. Yeah. And then yeah. we've got another really exciting podcast recording to do this week. I'm not going to say too much about it, but it's a little bit off-piste, oh, yeah. isn't it? Off-piste. Off. Wow, that's a Freudian slip. <laughs> isn't it? You'll see. You'll understand. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. I'm looking forward to that yeah. one. Um, great. That's this yeah. week, is it? I, I don't look at my diary anymore. It, just... it is this week. <laughs> <laughs> I look and... at it the night, night before. I go, oh, my God, I've got something in my diary. I have not looked or I didn't write it in my diary. I'm so out of the loop. We, we messed up this week, didn't I? I didn't put something in my diary oh, no. for, for another podcast it's recording. So... <laughs> I just, I'm just it, out of the habit. It's so easily done. It's so, And the work, we've got like three systems working at once in this household as well. So there's my diary, 
Rob's diary, yeah. and then yeah. this big planner thing that we've got in the kitchen, and none of them tally up. Not one of the things fits with anything no. else. So, yeah, it's like a disaster waiting to happen. I just think yeah. it, as long as I get the children home from school, <laughs> it's okay. As long as they're back <laughs> here, we're okay. As long as you remember they exist. Oh then my God, that's so okay. Got kids. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's fine. Yeah. That's enough, I think. Yeah, I think so too. Um, yeah. yeah, excellent. Well, um, I'm going to go now. Yeah, me too. And you <laughs> should too. Because um, yeah. it's Saturday night. Yeah, and I'm going to go crazy i'm gonna go sit in the other room <laughs> yeah so uh, <laughs> watch yet more netflix yes please yeah <laughs> yes please oh. all right well thanks listeners for making it all the way to the end there and um as always if you've enjoyed this episode please uh subscribe to us on uh, on all those platforms you can do that apple Podcasts, spotify yep. Whatever you want, Acast. I use Acast that app. That's that's well, good. I'm that's not sponsored by Acast. In fact, I pay Acast to 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 put this podcast on. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you blooming well use it, so that we feel like it's worthwhile. Use it. um, and you can rate and review it. That that really helps us be visible to yes. to the general public. Um, otherwise, it's just mainly sort of family members listening to this. And <laughs> I think it's just my mum now who's listening, but. Um, Oh. Uh, what else can people do they could go on social media and you could just like if you just retweet one of our episodes that that really helps retweet this episode goes a if long you've way. enjoyed it yeah also let us know where you're listening i get really excited by oh, this yeah. i look at the listening stats and i get mega excited when i see exciting countries i mean if you're listening in the uk we thank you but you know like there's yeah. a Liechtenstein. i always get really excited by that so if you're there let yeah. us know <laughs> Yeah, and do we, do we want people to send us, like, correspondence? Oh, that would be lovely. How can they send us correspondence, Ev? Um, you could uh, write a, I don't know, <laughs> how would you do it? <laughs> well, I suppose just, you just could me message us. <laughs> yeah, drop us a text. Message us on Instagram at three in a bar yeah, pod. Yeah, yeah, do that, do that. That'd message be lovely. Us on Instagram. Or Twitter. And... Uh, and we might read it out. Maybe we should start doing some features. Oh yeah, that'll test to see if anyone listens. We should start to the involve. Very end. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. We should maybe we should involve the audience more. You know, it's, yeah. It's it's your show. You know, yeah. Come on, that's the sort of thing they say on, on Five Live. <laughs> it's you know, it's not about us. It's you guys, really. Yeah. Uh, Quite right. <laughs> oh, let's uh, let them go, shall we? Say, yeah, 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 yeah. It's been yeah, a yeah. pleasure as yeah. ever. Yeah, it has. Uh, yeah. And uh, have a great week, everyone. And see you next time on Three in a Bar. Bye. Bye. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. 
seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.